0: Awesome, well, we're glad to be back. It feels like it's been a long time since we've got to to worship here together, so it's just great to see a room full of college students back worshiping uh, tonight. We have a great list of uh, guests tonight with us. First, we have Lightbearers. If y'all haven't heard of Lightbearers, you can find all about it. There should be a QR code coming up, Yep. You can find all about it. Basically, if you're looking for a place to live next year, they uh, offer apartments where, obviously, you get to live, but you also get to learn what it looks like to be on mission, and they get to, you get to be discipled right there where you live. So it's a great opportunity. They'll be in the back tonight or learn more on their website or just this fancy QR code. Also, we have Hannah. Hana's gonna come up on stage and tell us, yeah, give it up for Hannah. Come on, she's gonna tell us about World Culture Weekend. World Culture Weekend.
1: (laughs) So I am Hannah and I'm a junior at Arkansas this year and I just wanna tell you a little bit about something that changed my life a couple years ago. So right after my freshman year, I went to a summer discipleship program called It Project and it was out in California. And throughout the whole summer, we learned about God's heart for the world, we studied scripture, We learned all about world cultures and religions and how we can reach out to and build relationships with lost people who believe different things than us. And so we thought that we should bring IT Project right here to Northwest Arkansas for one of our spring break weekends. Usually we do IT week over spring break, but since we don't have a full week of spring break this year, we're condensing it into one little weekend. So the dates are March 25th through 28th, and during this weekend, we're gonna learn all about God's heart for the world. We have speakers coming in from around the world. These people have lived in countries that I dream about going to, and they're gonna come teach us about culture and how to reach out to lost people. We're gonna learn about God's heart for the world, grow our own hearts, um, and we're actually gonna take you guys to little pockets of Northwest Arkansas that you probably have never been to or have never heard of in order to build relationships with people who are from different cultures than us. We're also going to be eating tons of world food, which I'm most excited about. We have some super fun meals planned. So it is going to be a blast. You are going to grow so, so much. So if you're planning on being in Fayetteville for this weekend, March 25th through 28th, please sign up, I'll be there. And I'm so excited to see what God does. He changed my whole life when I learned about these things a couple of summers ago. And so I'm just excited to see what he does um, this weekend. So if you scan the QR code, it will take you to the little signup form to sign up. Or if you go to globaloutfitters.org, that will take you there also. Um, you can contact Nathan Allen if you have any questions, but I'll also be over... Um, over around here. So if you have any questions, come talk to me after. I'd love to talk to you about it, but yes, please sign up for World Culture Weekend. It's going to be a blast and you'll grow so much.
0: Yes, yeah, sign up. Thanks, Hannah. Appreciate it. And last, we have Andy and Allie here to tell you a little bit about Celebrate Recovery. Please welcome up Andy and Allie.
2: Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey, uh, like... Like Josh said, uh, I'm Andy and this is Allie and we're from uh, Celebrate Recovery, uh, a ministry here at, at Fellowship that's about helping us find healing from just the stuff that we deal with within life. And so uh, just to, you know, in the, in the spirit of Celebrate Recovery, do you guys cool if I introduce myself like I would at Celebrate Recovery? Cool. All right. It's going to feel a little bit weird, but when I'm done and I say my name, just say, hey, Andy, afterwards. Okay? Cool? Awesome. So, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, I struggle with anxiety and depression, anger, and sexual addiction. My name's Andy. Awesome. Thanks for catching me with that. Allie, can you introduce yourself?
3: Yeah. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with anger, um, control issues, and some shame from my past, and my name's Allie. Hey,
2: Allie. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, so Celebrate Recovery, if you haven't heard what it is, uh, it it really is a place for uh, for us to find vulnerability and healing within a context of authenticity as we're dealing with life's struggles that come up. For me, Celebrate Recovery changed my life. I was struggling with a 12-year pornography addiction, also had a lot of shame from my alcohol use and a lot of other things. And And over the past six years, it has totally radically changed my life. Uh, And so, we wanted to just let you know, especially with all this crazy stuff that's been going on with COVID, if there's been stuff that has been coming up within your life, whether it's shame or hurts, maybe there's some addictions that are present within your life, and you're looking for a safe place to process that within community we'd love to invite you to Celebrate Recovery. Uh, It happens every single Friday night here at 7 p.m. But we not only wanted to invite you guys to come and check it out, but there's also some really cool ways that we need help in, in meeting the needs of families that are struggling. And so, Allie, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on?
3: Yeah, so I am over Celebration Place, which is our kids' ministry, ages infant all the way up to sixth graders. And we start back up on this Friday night And it is just um, a place where kids can come, and they have a lot of fun, but they really get that foundation of Christ, and they learn how to kind of deal with life's hurts in healthy healthy ways as they come up. So we call it like our pre-covery program. And so we are looking for leaders who love kids and are looking for a place to serve to come on Friday nights and just pour into these kiddos. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, y'all can scan the QR code or meet me out in the foyer after church. And I'd love to meet you and just kind of talk with you a little bit more or answer any questions you may have.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Allie. And what I love about Celebration Place, because some of you guys might be in here thinking, well, I don't know if I have some of those things in there. I don't know if I necessarily need to come to Celebrate Recovery. But what I love so much is that Celebrate Recovery helps to impact the kingdom through bringing freedom within families, and one of the main ways that we help do that is by helping serve kids of those that are struggling. And, and Allie does a great job in that. And so if you're looking for a place to serve, maybe you're a little bit bored on a Friday night and you're looking for a place, place to serve, we'd love to have you guys. Uh, come and serve with us and just help us as we're helping bring healing to the hurting here in Northwest Arkansas and here in Fayetteville specifically. So, hey, with that being said, we're gonna uh, head into just our time of worship together and come before the Lord, but before we do that, if you guys wanna go ahead and stand up, say hi to somebody next to you, uh, and greet one another as we prepare to go into worship.
4: Hey fellowship, we love you guys. We're so glad you're here. If you would, uh, let's sing together. with me rumors in the son of man
5: You're your This red for cover
4: You guys can take a seat for a second. Um, what a joy it is to be able to say that about the guy that we follow, about the person we put our trust in, that he's worthy of it. And I think very often it's easy for us to look at people and to idolize people, especially if it's a, a politician or somebody we look up to and then they fail and they let us down. They do something stupid. They have a fall from grace. And That's tough. And it's awesome that we get to come here and celebrate and worship Jesus because Jesus isn't like that. Um, And I wanted to direct our attention to a story that a lot of people probably don't know. And it's about this. This guy's name is Mephibosheth. Can you guys say that? Mephibosheth, yeah. That's by far the worst name in the Bible. His parents hated him. I don't know why they did that to him. I'm sure it means something significant, but I haven't taken the time to look it up, so yeah. Uh, But this story is in 1 Samuel 9. Um, if you haven't read this part of the Bible, there's a guy named Samuel, and he's a prophet. He's a really cool dude, so you should check him out. But basically what he does is, this is a period of time where there's a lot of people running around ruling Israel, and their names are judges. So they're running around, they're fighting people, they're delivering God or God's people from their enemies. But The problem is, is these judges keep doing the same thing. They keep, they keep failing, they keep doing stupid things. And so what God does, he does something remarkable, is he frees his people from their enemies. But immediately, the first thing is people do is turn back and say, hey, God, we know that you just delivered us. We know that you love us, but we want a king. And God said, I'm your king. And they're like, no, we want a king that'll fight for us in battle. We want to be like all the other nations. So God says, if you want a king, you can have him. And he gives him a man named Saul. Now Saul, if I'm gonna put it bluntly, is a bonehead, like that dude, cheese. Talk about 12 wasted chapters of the Bible talking about this guy. He just does not get it. And there's one time where he takes a step too far. And this prophet Samuel comes up and he says, hey, you've rejected God, but it goes both ways. God's rejected you. It's like what God has done is he's found a man after his own heart that he's gonna put on the king and he's gonna rule Israel. And his name is David. You heard of him? He's a pretty cool guy. One thing about David that makes him significant is he never forgets who he is. He never forgets where he comes from. He was a shepherd kind of lowly, kind of humble. And he never forgets that. And David just has these eyes that sees the outcast. He just has these eyes that don't miss the people that are underprivileged, undervalued. And one of my favorite stories is the way David deals with this guy named Mephibosheth. Now, if I'm tracking with you, Mephibosheth, there's probably three reasons why I could say Mephibosheth is not a very important person in the Bible. And probably three reasons why I could say David probably wouldn't like him. First of all, Mephibosheth was very poor. He didn't even live in his own house. He had no family lived in somebody else's house. The second thing about Mephibosheth is that he's Saul's descendant. He has Saul's last name. And if I'm David and I'm trying to assert my rule over all of Israel, the first thing I'm gonna do is take out everybody with Saul's last name. I don't want anybody competing with me. I don't want anybody trying to take the mantle of king or the crown off my head. But the third thing is Mephibosheth was crippled in both of his feet. He Couldn't walk. Mephibosheth is hiding from David as he probably should, as he imagines in his mind. He's like, man, David's the king now, I gotta hide. That guy wants to kill me, he wants nothing to do with me. And then one day there's a knock on the door, Mephibosheth's worst nightmare. And they say, hey, Mephibosheth, King David wants to see you. So Mephibosheth, I'm sure, is helped by his servants and carried all the way over there because he can't walk by himself. And when he comes before the king, he knocks on the door, he falls face first to the ground, just begging for mercy. He knows those three reasons. He knows he's his enemy. He knows he's a poor man, not worth anything. He knows that he's crippled and he falls face first. And David greets him and he says, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth says this line that just gets me. And he says, David, what do you have to do with a dead dog like me? Why would you want to talk to me of all people? Why would you bring me here? And almost as if he didn't hear him, David immediately says, no. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna be kind to you. You're gonna have all this land and you're gonna live with me in Jerusalem and you're gonna eat at my table. You're gonna be treated like one of my sons. And I can't fathom that. And I don't think Mephibosheth could either. But there he was, this poor, worthless, crippled enemy of the king, sitting at his table. Does Mephibosheth sound familiar to you guys? It's us. It's me. It's you. Mephibosheth couldn't walk. He was at the king's table. Where else would he go? Mephibosheth was once far off, and the king went and found him and brought him in. Mephibosheth was once an enemy of the king, but the king canceled his dad and said, I don't care that Saul's your grandfather. I don't care. You're mine now. And I often wonder why we don't engage with God now. why some of us still hide. We have stories like this. The man after God's own heart acts like that. Imagine what God acts like. God's not sitting in heaven with his angry finger of judgment pointing at you, ready for you to make a mistake. That's not what he does. God doesn't hate you. God isn't ready to give up on you. He's like David. He's finding you. He's seeking you out. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what your record is, that's God's heart for you. So my prayer is as we can enter into this time of worship as Mephibosheth, if you had to limp in here, if there's something going on, then limp to his table. If you had to be carried in here, then be carried to his table. Because there's laughter to be had at the king's table. There's food to be eaten. There's songs to be danced to. There's wounds to be healed at the king's table. Most importantly, there's life to be So as we continue, let's worship God like a Philosoph. So let's sing about his love. That is the truth. Children, that is what we are. Because you've lavished your love on us. Undeserving, unworthy, crippled people. Father, thank you for having eyes like that to see us. To not be content to see us far off, but to bring us to you by the cross. You didn't even stop there, but you gave us your spirit to guide us, to comfort us, to help us. And that's a promise. Not a hope, not just a hope, but a promise. So, Father, as we continue, as we're taught, Father, would we learn that loving you is greater than loving anything else? Would you bless Garland as he teaches? He'd say nothing more, nothing less than we desire for him to say. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. Amen.
6: Hey, Amen, y'all grab a seat, grab a seat. Miss you guys. Welcome back to uh, Fellowship Sunday night. It's been weird. We had the weird snow blizzard, and then we ha- we were off last week because of the strange spring break thing that y'all have got this year. But I miss y'all. So glad to be back uh, with y'all. Before we even get going on teaching parables tonight, it has to be said, our basketball team's on fire right now. I mean, it's incredible. So I... I'm a, I grew up in the, like the late 80s and the 90s. And uh, back then, so I was nine years old when Arkansas won the 94 championship. And every year for Halloween growing up, the only thing I wanted to be was a Razorback basketball player. So every year for Halloween, I was a Razorback basketball player. And growing up, when we began basketball seasons, the only real question wasn't will we be in the tournament, but like are we going to be a four seed or a two seed or like a one seed or three seed, something like that, and that's what it feels like this year. We should be on like that three line uh, right about now. So I was there yesterday. Um, I hate LSU, and I hate their coach. It was awesome uh, to see that happen. I saw some of you there. So I just, just got to celebrate that uh, with y'all. Uh, I wanted to be a Razorback basketball player, but look at me. I can't play, so that's too bad for me. But uh, as we continue to dive into our parables, I wanna ask you a question, and this will kind of get us rolling. Here's the question. I want you to turn to your neighbor and answer this. If you won the lottery, what would you buy? Or maybe what would you buy first? I'll give you 30, 45 seconds. Go. Go. I have no idea if you're even answering the question. It's just whatever. Sounds like noise in here. I can't hear anything. All right, what, I, what I would like to do, we don't have time. What I'd like to do is like interact with you and hear some of these responses, especially some of the more ridiculous ones. We just don't have time. We gotta work through the passive. So if you had something ridiculous or the person next to you has said something ridiculous, come tell me later. You can rat them out. That's no big deal. Uh, here is the, the all-time Powerball winners right here, all right? The biggest lottery winner ever was $1.59 billion. That's the largest payout that we've had so far. This lady won a nice solid 758 million dollars, and she doesn't seem all that happy about it. Um, if you if you if you're like me, I see a number like that, and I'm like, oh, like oh my gosh, like what do you even do with that amount of money? Like man, if I won 1.5 billion. Dollars, like I'd be set for life. I wouldn't have to worry about money. I could be comfortable, obviously. I could, I could take care of my family and my friends. It'd be fantastic. Now here's the interesting thing, and, and there's been some studies that have been done on this, so I went and looked it up. What percentage of people who win the lottery within a few years end up broke? You don't have to answer that one. Just, just think about it in your head. What, what percentage would you say of people who win crazy huge sums of money end up within a few years broke? Because here's the answer. 70% of lottery winners end up broke within a few years. And I'm like, how is that possible? Like, how could you possibly blow through? Like, forget 1.5. 1.5 seems crazy, but even like $10 million seems a crazy amount of money to spend. It seems so foolish to be able to get a payout like this and to squander it. Now, that's a bit of a backdrop for us as we look at the parable of the rich fool. That's where we're going to be going tonight. Here's the question I want to ask you to internalize as we work through this tonight. What is it about, the, about money and what money can afford us? Stuff. What is it about money and stuff that is so seductive, that is so alluring? What is it about the comfort that seems attached with having lots of money and having stuff? What is it about that that seems like it provides such security and happiness? Like what is it that causes us to think, man, if I had $1.5 billion, my worries would be taken care of. Yes. And why does it seem to fail so much. We're going to be in Luke 12. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. And for, for you, I, I encourage you, bring your Bible. Let's take notes as you hear the Bible taught and on your phone or on a piece of paper, whatever that may be. Here's our three Roman numerals, our outline for you tonight. First, we're going to see Jesus teach us on a kind of counterfeit or fake wealth. And then we're going to see him explain what true wealth looks like. But in between, we're going to take a, a, a test that nobody wants to take. We're gonna take a greed or materialism test. I don't wanna do it, you don't wanna do it. But we need to. Counterfeit wealth, we're gonna take a greed test, and then true wealth that Jesus is going to talk about. Let me give a couple of warnings before we move forward here, okay? A couple of warnings about tonight. First warning is this. Uh, my name's Garland, I haven't met you, by the way, so that's not a warning, I just forgot to tell you. I'm Garland, nice to meet you, I'd like to meet you later. Uh, here's some warnings for tonight. Uh, first, of all, this is not about, first of all, this is not about rich and poor, So I recognize that some of you in this room, your family's got a lot of money. And and you know it, maybe you don't know it, you should. Some of you came from families that have a lot of money, and you had a lot of stuff growing up. I'm not trying to shame you, all right? Greed and materialism, it, it attacks people, whether you have a lot of money or whether some people in this room came from not a lot of money. And this issue of materialism, this issue of greed can sneak up on both of you. So just because if you came from money, I'm not trying to shame you tonight. It might feel like that at times. I'm not, I promise you. The second warning or the second sort of caveat is this. I, I recognize that I'm talking to largely college students or those that just graduated, just started their working careers, and you may not feel like you have a lot of money. We still need to hear this. We still need to hear this teaching. Third warning, I'm not asking for any of your money for fellowship. Fellowship's doing just fine. All right, this is not a, a talk where I'm trying to get you to give your money to the church, okay? Now, you may decide, man, I need to start giving money to the church, but that's not what the purpose of tonight is, all right? I don't, we don't need it, okay? Now, you may decide that that's one way that you can respond to this. But this is not a talk about trying to get money for the church. We're, we're man, fellowship struggling, so I need to give a talk on money. It's not what this is about, okay? Now, the last warning is this. This is really, really important. Jesus will talk about the sin of materialism and greed more than any other. And it's something that we rarely talk about in church. Like, let me give you a couple of examples of Jesus talking about Here he is in Luke chapter six. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Hear it, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Man, that stings a little bit. Here's another one in Luke chapter 18. A guy comes up to Jesus and he says, Hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to, to be in the kingdom? What do I got to do? He terms this in eternal life. And they have this dialogue, and at one point in the dialogue, Jesus says this You know, you lack one thing. Hey, dude, hey, listen, one thing, simple sell everything that you have and just give it away to the poor. Give it all up, and you know what? You'll get real treasure, and then come follow me. And we're told, he, he heard this and became very sad because he was very wealthy. And look at the statement that Jesus makes in verse 24. Jesus, he's gonna do this in the, with the guy in the parable setting in a minute. The, the, the man comes up and asks the question. Jesus tells him to sell everything and then he, he talks to the crowd with the guy as an example. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, God, now time out whether you are wealthy in the room and came from money or not, we have to acknowledge something. This makes this even more difficult. We live in the most prosperous country that the world has ever known. We just gotta come face to face with that reality. No matter if you got a lot of money or you don't, tens of millions of people in our world right now live on less than a dollar a day or a dollar a day. People in our world are starving to death right now. Can't find water right now don't have places to live right now. And we're gonna to have to square a little bit with what Jesus is gonna be after. And this is hard as we sit in America, as we sit in Northwest Arkansas, okay? So as we go, this is really, really important. Now we're gonna dive into this parable of the rich fool. We'll go to Luke chapter 12 with me and let's pay attention to what Jesus has to teach us tonight. He says, here's our context. Jesus is teaching on suffering and the persecution that's going to come for following him. Okay, that's the context. You can look you can read ahead, read behind in this. He's talking to them about what it's going to cost to follow him. And how people are going to come against you if you follow Jesus. And while he's teaching on that, this dude in the crowd goes, "Hey, hey, 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 Jesus, I know you're talking about suffering and all, but I got a question for you, Jesus." Hey, can you tell my brother, I'm I'm talking to Jesus about this, tell my brother to divide our inheritance with me. He's the older brother, he gets extra, I want some of his. Do you have that friend, or that person in your friend group that just never reads the room very well? Like, think about it. Like, you and two people, don't point at them right now if they're in here with you, all right? Don't point right now, don't whisper the name, they might hear you, it's Sarah. Don't do that, all right? So, that friend that like you're having a serious conversation or you're, like you're having this really deep conversation or maybe you're talking about something sad and they walk in the room and they never read the room. And When they come in, they start being all happy and they start making jokes and y'all are you're like, we'll have to just pick this up later. And I said this a couple weeks ago, if you're like, I don't think our friend group has somebody like that. <laughs> please stop, all right? We're talking about you right now. If you thought that, it's you, okay? So, this guy just, missed, he just misreads the room. Jesus is talking about suffering and persecution. Hey, I want my stuff, Jesus. Can you decide this case for us? And look at what Jesus does. I, I have a feeling this really caught this guy off guard. He says, man, now it's, it could be a rebuke or it could be the way he says this, the, the, the way this is in the Greek language, it could be a rebuke or it could be with compassion. It's not entirely clear. I think it's a mix of both. Man, sir, that's not why I'm here. Who made me to be the the arbiter, the judge between these sorts of legal disputes between you and your brother? Now, the man asked the question, Jesus says this, and now he turns to the crowd. And this has got to be humiliating for this guy. Who made me judge between you and your brother? Hey, now everybody, watch out for all kinds of greed. Be on your guard. He uses this guy's question as an object lesson for everybody there. And if I'm this guy, I'm like, crap, that didn't go how I thought that was gonna go. Man, I thought he, I I missed this. Because in this moment, Jesus is gonna use this to springboard into a teaching. And he he makes this very, very strange comment. If we're honest, this is a strange comment. Look at what he says in verse 15, the last line. "I I wanna see this line that Jesus says and go, you are wrong. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, I hear Jesus say that, and this is church, so we're used to Jesus saying things like this, but if you're honest, we have all been conditioned to think the exact opposite is true. You got a lot of stuff, you got cash, you got money, you can have experiences, that's the good life, right? Life, actually, Jesus, life totally consists in an abundance of possessions. Now, I'm not making fun of any of these things or making fun of you if you own these things. Like I got an Apple phone right now and I'm wearing those pants. By the way, I want those Jordans and I wish I had a Bronco. I don't know what this thing in the middle is. What are those called? What are they called? Golden? Why is nobody saying it? You afraid (laughs) to say it? Or you just don't know what it is. What is it? It's a golden goose shoe. My team had to help me with this. You can see how cool I am, uh, very not cool. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not blowing any of these things up. These things aren't evil in and of themselves. I mean, I wish I had those Js. These are not evil in and of themselves. But here's the reality. You and I have been conditioned to think that in an abundance of possessions, that is the good life. And if you think about it, what money and the things that money can afford for you, what it provides it provides our sense of comfort. It provides our protection from anxiety. It provides us a sense of security. It oftentimes comes with our sense of value or attractiveness. Well, I can wear these certain things or buy these certain things, so now I, am, I have a higher status than before when I couldn't buy those things. I can shop at this place or have this car or come from this neighborhood. That sets me apart from these people. And it's subtle. We never would say anything like that out loud, but Jesus is gonna start to get down deep into our heart and say, watch out. And I wanna look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you're just flat out wrong. Absolutely life consists in an abundance of possessions. And to illustrate, he says, you're gonna he's gonna teach them, you have to have a radical break with the way that this world looks at money to follow me. Like a 180 turn from how this world treats money. And to illustrate that, he gives a parable. Look at it. Verse 16. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. It's a story. He's making up a story, and the story goes like this. There's a guy who's already rich. So note that. Underline that. He's already rich, and he has an amazing harvest. And he has this internal dialogue with himself. What am I, I going to do with all of this extra harvest And here's what he he decides, verse 18. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, the good life. And here's the reality. Our American culture that we live in has conditioned us to think that exactly what verse 19 says, exactly what this man in the parable says is the aim of our lives, have just, a, nobody's trying to show off. Nobody wants to be the, the richest or the most greedy person in the world. Nobody in this room. Nobody just have enough to take life easy and not have to worry. That's the good life. And look at what Jesus says. He says, God said to him, circle it, underline it, you fool, you fool. You have to have a dramatic and radical break with the way this world views money and stuff. And after the parable, Jesus is gonna go on an extended teaching sort of explaining the parable and he lands the plane on this line. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's a treasure? A treasure is the thing that you say, that you light up when you get it. That you say, I must have this or I have nothing. This lets me know that I'm valuable. This lets me know that I'm important. This gives me my significance, my attractiveness. This is the thing that I have to have or I have nothing. That's your treasure. And Jesus says, what you treasure, you will give your heart, your attention, your loyalty, your time, your devotion, your future, your hopes, you'll give everything away to the thing that you treasure. But Jesus, he's gonna say that if you treasure anything besides him and his kingdom, it will always let you down, leave you empty, and enslave you to that treasure. It's easy to illustrate this with like your reputation. Let me illustrate with your reputation. If you treasure the way that your reputation is around people, what people think about you, if you treasure that, then what will happen is you'll give your heart, your attention, your loyalty, you'll give your time, you'll give your worry over to the, what people around you think, what they say about you and what they say about you. Do they think I'm funny? Do they think I'm cool? Do they think I'm attractive? And you'll constantly be comparing. You'll constantly be nervous. You'll constantly be worried. You'll constantly have be filled with anxiety. You'll enter into codependent relationships because you're totally worried about what people think about you. It will own you and enslave you. Easy to illustrate, Right? This principle is really simple, I think, what Jesus is saying. But Jesus, in the context, is talking about money. And he's saying, it will enslave you and own you. And what stuff does, if you say, if I have these things, if I can get these or wear these or own these or have this job one day, then I'll be set, then I'll have security. If you chase it, it will leave you empty, rob you of joy, and it will enslave you. It's a counterfeit kind of wealth that Jesus is trying to teach us. It's a fake wealth. It's the wealth that our culture is telling us you have to seek. Now, here's the reality. I bet nobody in here who came here tonight, myself included, is thinking, I'm probably pretty greedy. You know, I think I'm greedy. Yeah, I hope they're talking about greed tonight because I need to really shape that one up in my life. Nobody... Nobody thinks about greed all that often. This is why Jesus, look at what he says, underline the commands in verse 15. He said to them, the commands are, watch out. And then he says, be on your guard. You've gotta watch out. Pay attention. You ever been driving on the highway? This is for some reason that came to my mind. You ever been driving on the highway, and you're just kinda minding your own business, and you're going, maybe, maybe you're speeding, maybe you're not, whatever. You're just kind of driving. And then a cop pulls on the on-ramp onto the highway. You've probably all had this experience. What happens? Immediately, hands at 10 and 2. And you slow down, and you set the cruise right on the speed limit, maybe one mile an hour under. And when you change lanes, signal on, wait three seconds, slowly merge. Cops over there. I'm, I'm just changing lanes over here, no big deal. The worst thing about when a cop gets on the highway is when the cop gets on the highway, everybody else starts going the exact same speed and nobody's going anywhere. And the worst part is when the cop, if it's the speed limit's 70 and the cop's going like 68 miles an hour, but you're going 70, and you slowly start to creep up on him, and you're like, I know my odometer's right, I'm going 70, I, I don't wanna pass him, because what if I pass him, he's gonna give me a ticket, he's going the right speed, but you slowly pass him. You feel really nervous, and as you go by, just, just going 70 here. What happens when the cop pulls onto the highway? You, you get really alert all of a sudden. Like you're paying attention to everything that you weren't paying attention to before. And Jesus says, "You have to be like that with materialism and greed. Now my question to Jesus is, why? Why do you have to be this alert? And I think the reason is this: Because greed and materialism is so sneaky. It's subtle. Like, Jesus doesn't have to say this with, like, having sex outside of marriage, right? Like, it's usually pretty obvious when that's going on, right? Having sex outside of marriage right now. You You don't have to watch out for it, because usually it's pretty clear. But on this one, he says, watch out. It's subtle, and it's sneaky, and it'll creep up on you if you don't pay attention. Watch out. Be on your guard, So with that in mind, we're going to do a greed test, a materialism test. Now, I I recognize some of you, you're fine test takers. When you take a test, no sweat, your recall is good, you walk in there, take the test, get that Scantron, Blue Book test, online test, whatever, no big deal. But some of you, just seeing the word test, you got a little panicked inside. And some of you, you've studied and you know the material, but when you go in there, like, it just goes away and you have no idea why, you actually are smart, but you can't take tests. I got a friend who, he's actually decently smart, he's okay smart, but he can't, he just can't take tests, and he goes in there and fails every time that he feels like a total loser. Uh, Staff, I'll tell you who I'm talking about later. Uh, So, everybody knows him. So, he just can't take tests. Now, here's the easy thing about this test. Um, All you have to do is be honest, okay? All you have to do is be honest with yourself, and I'm gonna ask you to reach deep here into your soul, your life, and do some analysis about your life right now. We're gonna use what Jesus teaches in this passage to sort of illuminate some stuff in our life, and I'll, I'll tell you about mine. So here's, here, I'm gonna give you some, some indicators that there might be this gnawing materialism in your life, this subtle thing that's in there, like a parasite. Here's some things to look for. The greed test, first of all, do you worry about it? Do you worry about money or having enough money one day? And by the way, this could be true for those of you that come from money or if you didn't come from money. Do you worry about it? Do you find yourself constantly worried about, well, they have this, I don't have that, they got that, I didn't get that. Here's the scary part. A lot of you, a lot of you probably in this room are in college, and for some of you, you are so anxious and worried about what that post-college job will be, and will it be able to afford me the things that I need and I want? Made sometimes even worse by pressure put on you by your parents. It can just cause a worry. Does it, sometimes it manifests in a comparison kind of a worry. They have something, they got that, they wear those, and it makes you feel insecure about you. Do you worry about it? Number two, do you feel your sense of security or value from it. Look at what the man in the parable says. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. I've got security, comfort. Let's stretch it just a little bit to your life and mine. So your security or your comfort, or maybe, do you get your sense of, of value from what, you can, from what money can afford you? Do you get your sense of identity from it, from what money can afford you? Does it make you feel more attractive Money and what it can afford you. Let's take it even farther. And I, I gotta press, for some of you, the biggest piece of your identity coming into this college, coming here, about been three years ago, five years ago, whatever it was, this past year, one of the biggest formers of your identity, and I watch it happen, is can you get into that fraternity or that sorority? And by the way, you gotta pay more for that. The things that money can afford you, you go, if I don't have it, and yes, it costs more, then I won't have anything. Now I've got status. That might reveal that this sense of greed or materialism has worked its way into your heart, worked its way into your life. Number three, do you view stuff as yours? Look at the guy, the guy in the parable. He thought to himself, What should I do? I have no place to store. Whose crops? My crops. He didn't make the ground, the soil more fertile that year, he didn't make the rain better that year, he did nothing to do that. But he has this surplus and he goes, mine. Do you view your stuff as mine? Maybe the better way to ask it is, and here's how you can tell if it's mine, are you stingy? Is it difficult to be generous? Is it hard to give it away? Is it hard to give to the, to the church? Is it hard to give to things that, that the Lord cares about? You see, this, well, this is mine. I've, I can't give it away, it's mine. I, by the way, I get it. Some of you are like, I don't have much money to give. Are you, do you, even the small amount you have, Do you go, mine. It might indicate this parasite has gotten into your heart. Number four, it's never enough. You feel like you never have enough. He says, I got plenty of grain laid up for many years. He already had barns. Build bigger barns. I need more. It's never gonna be enough for this guy. I find this one interesting, especially when it comes to like our possessions. Like a lot of you in the room have, myself included, like maybe like a, a year old phone, but then the new one comes out. Oh, i got to get that one, or the new trend, the new styles come out, or the new this, i got to have that thing because they're going to get it, and it's going to be trendy. If I don't have that, it's never enough. It's like a rat race of always trying to keep up. Number five, do you seek your pleasure with money and what it can afford? And maybe the, maybe the way to really ask it is, do you let what money can afford mask your pain or insecurity or worry and anxiety? I feel worried, so I'm gonna seek an escape with another trip, or seek an escape with going to this place and eating, or seek, seek an escape with being able to buy this alcohol and drink it, or seek an escape. Do you allow pleasure in the escape of what money can afford for you? Do you allow that to be your, your, maybe your firm foundation or your coping mechanism instead of going to the Lord? It's revealing, actually, the Lord's not your joy, but what money can afford for you is your joy. Lastly, do you run towards it? He says the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. Do you, is, the, is the orientation of your life directed towards how can I make as much money as possible to get the house, to get the lake house, to get the boat, to get the wife and, or the husband? And have, is that the direction, the aim of your life? Some of you have st- selected majors with nothing but that as the primary motivation. And I'm not telling you you should change it. Your parents would kill me some of you, but think about it. Is it what you're running towards? It might indicate that there's, a, there's this sense, there's this parasite in you of, of greed and materialism. C.S. Lewis, you know, I have to quote him at some point every sermon. He says this, and God, this is so good in screw tape letters. If you haven't read it, go read it. It's so good. He says, prosperity, it knits a man or a woman to the world. It tethers you to the world. He feels like he's finding his place in it. I'm just trying to find my place in the world here. I'm not trying to show off. I just wanna, just wanna find my place in the world. And he says, when really, the world, it's finding its place in him or her. It's tethering you to the world. Jesus said it, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me, let me, let me be honest with you. I'm asking you to be honest. Let me be honest where, 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 in my life. I don't, I don't consider myself a materialistic person or a greedy person, but I've been working on this And the Lord began to reveal some stuff in me that I don't like. And I'll just be honest with you. So uh, my wife and I, the government's just been giving out checks because of COVID. They're just giving people money. And uh, they gave two relief bill kind of checks that they just sent out to taxpaying Americans. So Sarah and I got several thousand dollars just given to us by the government. And when that money hit our bank account, both times, I flunked this test, and I didn't even know it until I started working on teaching this. And I saw this and I was like, crap. Let me, let me just tell you how it sounded for me. I looked at my wife and I was like, babe. I mean, I work at a church, okay? Don't make, don't make a lot of money at the church, all right? So I was like, babe, we don't have to worry so much money, man, we can go out more, we can say yes to the kids more, we can, we can go, go eat out, we can go on some nicer dates, and if that thing you wanted to buy, buy it. It'll be so much more fun, and man, we can be, it will be way more fun as a family. The one that really got me, number three, number three. Both those checks at our bank account, and both times, my response was, was this. I deserve this. I mean, I work hard, and I pay my taxes, it's mine. I deserve this. And not one time did I think it. Actually, was an email I got from somebody else suggesting it, and I went, "Oh my gosh, I'm like the man in the parable, microps." I never once thought, "How could I just give this away to people?" No, this is mine. I've earned it. I deserve it. And I, 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 I tell you, I would tell people for years. I don't think I struggle with materialism or greed at all. Look at how I dress. I'm not all that cool. But this. This gnawing little thing has been building probably in my life, and I need to go and watch out and be alert because it'll end up owning me and owning you. The last one is true wealth. Here's how we close. This will be short, trust me. Counterfeit wealth. Jesus wants to teach about a true wealth. And man, this is so cool. Look at what he says. He ends the parable. He says, you fool, tonight your life will be demanded of you and your stuff will be given to somebody else. And then he ends the parable with this statement. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. Notice the contrast. Circle the word but, underline the word but. This is a transitional word. It's a contrasting word. But is not rich toward God. Jesus is gonna talk about a counter wealth, a true wealth, something contrary to what our world says is the true wealth. When he unpacks it, he says, this, he says it this way in the teaching that follows the parable. He says, how do you get this true wealth? Well, you seek first. When you get down to verse 31, underline the word seek. It's a command, seek first. You've got two kingdoms you can seek. The world's, Jesus says, seek mine. And by the way, everything you need to do that will be given to you, rich or poor. He says, I know this is scary, so don't be afraid. Your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. So in response, sell what you got, give it to the poor, provide true riches, purses for yourself that will never wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Treasure that, run after that. Now, if I'm, li- if, if I'm you, this is what I'm thinking here and Jesus say that, this is church and we're like, we're used to Jesus saying things like this. Yeah, true, he- true wealth in heaven, yeah, I get it. But if I'm you, I'm like, I still don't know if I buy it. Okay, yeah, treasure in heaven one day. But like, what about now? How does that help me? How do I make the jump out of the world's way of seeing money and stuff and into this seeking the kingdom thing? And I think Paul gives us the answer. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter eight. I want you to see this verse. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about money. He's talking to them about how the Philippians in Macedonia had given money to what Paul was doing. It talks about how though they were poor, they were super generous. And in talking about this, he says this statement, man, this is, this is so profound. And we'll pray. This is the secret of getting out of the world's kingdom and how it views money and getting into Jesus's. Here it is. For we know the grace, the word charis, charis the word grace, it's the word gift. We know the gift of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. Now hear it. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. What's he trying to say? This rat race that we've put ourselves in of trying to compete and outdo each other and always worried and always anxious and always filled with all sorts of comparison and issue and the the brokenness that follows all of that. The insecurity and the worry, it's like we're poor. It's like it's impoverished us. It's left us empty and Jesus, he sees our emptiness and what is the story of the gospel? If you've not heard it, here it is. That Jesus reaches down into the gutter on the street And he takes our place in our poverty so that we might have a seat at the king's table. We talked about it earlier with Mephibosheth. So that we might get a seat at the king's table. Isn't that beautiful? It's all the riches we will ever need. Jesus said, seek that kingdom. I'm the only king that gives you everything when you give up everything for me. I'm the only one that will enslave you and yet set you free. I'm the only one that will not leave you empty and let you down. Come and seek me and my kingdom. So we let the gospel inform us and then here's what, we do, what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. It's not surprising that in the prayer we're supposed to, Jesus says, here's how you pray. And I encourage you at the beginning of our semester to pray every day on your knees, the Lord's Prayer. Even if you forgot it, we're gonna pray again tonight on our knees. And even if you forgot, you can start today, tomorrow morning. Lord's Prayer on your knees. It's not surprising that right in the middle of this prayer, it says, Lord, I'm seeking your kingdom. I pledge my allegiance to you. And right in the middle of this prayer, it says, Give me today just my daily bread. Enough today to seek you first. Nothing more, nothing less. That's all I need. So if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, nobody's going to judge you. We're about to get on the floor on our knees. Just stay seated. You can fake it if you want. Nobody's going to judge you if you stay seated. No big deal. If you're not a follower of Jesus, just you can kind of look at us for a minute. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we're going to sing gospel songs, but first we're going to pray on our knees. We're going to recognize our King and say, Lord, give me just enough. We'll pray this out loud together, and then I will close us in prayer. So if you wouldn't mind, would you just make however you can get down on your knees, and we'll, we'll bow before our Father and our King, and let's pray the Lord's Prayer out loud together. let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord Jesus, you are the king And maybe even for this next song, we just stay in this posture. Would you give us nothing more and nothing less than what we need to follow you? Would you root out of us the materialism of our world that we might seek a different king in a different kingdom, a better king in a better kingdom, the only king who gave up everything that we might sit at the king's table? And we sing about that right now. Jesus, we love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. If you want, just stay on your knees and let's sing. And if you want to stand, you can stand. Let's sing together.
5: better
4: amen. Jesus, we crown you Lord of all. Would you bless us this week as we go? We would know that you are better. We would act like it. Holy Spirit convict us of this. Thank you for your time. Thank you for teaching. Thank you for the ability to worship you in song. Lord, you're so good. We don't have enough time to tell you. Father, thank you. We praise you. Amen. Fellowship, we love you guys. You guys have a good week.